Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Previously on Dylan and Dutch Metal Detecting. That's 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 so weird that you mentioned that because I I just realized and remembered that that exact same thing happened to me. Why us? What? What are we providing that some other metal detecting agencies aren't? I have to say, I'm stumped. When I went into my basement the other day, which is locked, I noticed that my metal detecting gear had been moved a little bit. And these phone calls, they're not saying wrong number anymore, it's just breathing on the other line, and then a click. But we met a really cool guy. We never got his name. I called him Ernest. I know! His nose was smashed. Did you notice that? Yeah, it looked like he'd been in a couple fights. You know what that means? He's probably a boxer when he was younger. Ah. I think, I mean. Oh. I didn't want to think about that. You actually got a photo from this wildlife camera. You know what that means? Someone was watching us the entire time. Yeah, that's what that means. And that's, I mean, normally and they all know the other us. things, all the other things. It's like, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. But now I'm starting to get a little bit like... They have your address. This guy deserves to die. What can we say? Um, and you know what? I don't think you know who we really are. And we don't appreciate being kept in the dark. Scarlet, Scarlet, can you hear me? Scarlet, get out of the house now. Get out of the house now. No, right now. Drop everything. Take the kids. I don't care where you go. Just go. Hello? Dylan and Dutch. This is... The Miner speaking. I'm disappointed in you. Hello, Dylan. I hope this message finds you well. I wish I could say the same for Dutch. He was getting too close. Come find me, Dylan. Come on out and play. This is Special Agent Agatha Perkins, interviewing Dutch Bradley Hutchins, May 31st, 2016. Tape A, Spool 72. It is 5.37 a.m. My Zodiac is a Virgo. Alright, we've discussed these events previously. Consider this the official record. Dutch, it's good to see that you're okay. Consider this just a friendly interview, a debriefing, if you will. We just want the truth, and then you can go home. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, you know, I know, I know you know what's going on, and uh, we've we've talked, and I realize that you need the official statement, um, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to do that for you. All right, let's just get right into it. Please describe what led up to your being taken. Any and all details you can remember. So, like you know, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Dylan and I got 
got together again, and uh, we had really hit a roadblock in our, um, uh, you know, trying to figure out the details of this case, and uh, we'd spent some time away from each other just to try to clear our heads and uh, figure it out. Really didn't come up with anything um, until, I don't know, I thought I found something, and uh, I wanted to tell Dylan about it, and I called him over, and um, we'd kind of been arguing a little bit, just a little bit about uh, what we might do when we actually find this guy. Mm. And I went outside to uh, clear my head. And as soon as I walked outside, I knew, I sensed that there was someone else out there with me. Really? But it, but it was too late. Mm. And uh, hit me over the head, knocked me out. So when I woke up, I was uh, chained uh, in the bed of a flatbed truck uh, going down some bumpy trail. Based on the moon position, I could tell that we had been traveling at least two hours since I was knocked out. And um, during my days as a uh, merchant sailor, I could tell from the position of the stars and the direction, the direction we were heading, south by southwest. Uh, I could smell scrub oak. I could tell that there had been a fire in that area within the last 27 months. I heard screech owls, saw some silhouettes of bats. Hmm. The road was very dusty. There must have been livestock grazing nearby. Okay. We stopped at a gate, and uh, he got out and opened it, drove about two more miles, and stopped again. The moon had gone down by this point below the horizon. The only light was the light of the cab when he got out. He saw that I was awake, and he knocked me out again, but... Before he knocked me out, I got a good look at him, and I could see it was the prospector from the trip that we had taken a while back. Um, he had showed us some of his old tools. I nicknamed him Ernest. It was him. Hmm. I uh, woke up the next time with my arms chained to a horizontal crossbeam. Uh, in the middle of the mine, the chains were going all the way up from my wrists to my armpits. I was suspended off the ground. Water was dripping on me from uh, from above. What did What did you say? Did you say anything to him? Well, he was he was standing right there uh, when I woke up, and I wanted to get right to it. I said, "What's your next play? Um, what's the next move?" He didn't say anything. I uh, just looked at me. I told him he got lucky. That he caught us at our lowest point. But that he made one crucial mistake. He only got one of us. Hmm. Talk to me a bit about what happened during the week you were in the chains. During that week, uh, really there wasn't any interaction at all with him. Uh, however... He had done his homework, he'd done his research, and he wanted to torture me in one of the worst ways possible, and he knew what would cause me the most excruciating pain. Did... Wait, the most excruciating pain? What exactly is that? The entire week I was chained to that crossbeam, he played Dave Matthews' band. No. Full blast. No. Non-stop. He so knew sorry. me, and... 
he was pretty close to breaking me. It, uh, it took all of my meditative power and training with the Dalai Lama to be able to resist uh, just having a complete breakdown. Hmm. What, was it, uh, what was it like inside the cave? Describe what you could see around you. Inside the cave was actually pretty fascinating. Uh, there were some really interesting quartz formations uh, that I'm really looking forward to going back and exploring as soon as your people um, leave and finish you know, with the crime scene there. Uh, there was, uh, I think I mentioned, dripping water that was dripping from above me onto my head. It was really the only way that I stayed alive during that time. Uh, he never gave me any food. Uh, I was just drinking whatever water would drip past my mouth. It was very damp in the cave. Uh, there was a, uh, a room, basically, that we were in, an opening, and there was a, a monitor bank on one wall that he sat in front of the entire time. He never left those monitors. They were showing images of video cameras that had been placed throughout the tunnel hmm. um, from all the way from the entrance to right outside the room where we were at. And as I studied those monitors through the week, I realized that he had set up various booby traps at each place that he could uh, engage from where he was at. Also looking at the monitors, that was the only way I could tell time based on the uh, timestamp on each one of the screens and mm. uh, I could figured we were about a half mile underground since I was unconscious as he drug me down there. But from the amount of cave systems that we were looking at on those monitors, it seemed like by my estimates we were about a half mile underground. Hmm. I... Did he ever? Uh, did he ever say anything? I mean, they were making any extra physical contact beyond the no. chains. No, no, never. Um, he would just, like I said, he would just sit in front of those monitors. I kept probing for weak spots. I wanted to find out what would break him. Um, I made fun of his skinny jeans. I told him his thighs were too thick for skinny jeans, and that he had no business wearing them, and that people would laugh at him, and that if he came to my school wearing those skinny jeans. Sixth grade girls would point at him and call him silly. Hmm. Um, Did that demoralize him? No. Hmm. Not even the skinny jean comment. I told him that uh, wearing a faux hawk was too young for him. Uh, it, again, no, no response. I called him a second rate killer. Um, I told him that you know, he probably wears Fruit of the Loom tight underpants that, uh, I told him he probably has toe shoes. Hmm. Seems like the type of guy who would wear toe shoes. Yeah. Um, I made fun of him for probably not being able to bench press over 300 pounds. Hmm. Like any real man would be able to do. Okay. I went on and on. Did he ever break? Was there any point in time at which he was affected by what you had to say? Only on the final day. I realized his face was familiar. I hadn't seen his face before, but I had seen his son's face in Miami. The Miami Connection. The Miami Connection.
and I realized uh, I knew how to break this guy. I told him he was a terrible father. He immediately turned around and said, what would you know about it? I said, I know that I would have taught my son to fight with a knife proper and not get stabbed in the neck 16 or 17 times. Exactly like Dylan had, had, had told me just exactly just before you were, you were found. And that did it. And uh, he came over to me, picked up a pipe on his way, and started beating me relentlessly and screaming incoherently. I heard my bones breaking, uh, the dull thud of iron on flesh. Wounds were opening up all over me. Um, I was trying to block out the pain, trying to enter into a zen-like state. It was difficult. Uh, I felt myself losing consciousness. But right before, I looked over at the monitors, and I realized that it had worked. And I saw Dylan at the entrance to the cave with a mountain lion. Hmm. I screamed at him to go back, and then he said something to the mountain lion. Dutch, are you in here? I thought I heard something. Atreyu, stand guard at the foot of this mine. Don't let anyone in unless they have a badge. Oh my god, that is Dutch. Dutch! Where is he not beating you? You're covered in blood. Oh my god. You have bones coming out of your body. Are those your ribs? Dylan. Dylan, he's still here. He just left. He's in one of the tunnels. I, I didn't see which one he went down. Dutch? Do you remember the last time we spoke? And I said that I didn't know whether or not I could kill a man? I'm going to kill him to death. Bring me his head. Dylan, behind you! Okay, so the killer came back. What happened? Dylan spun around. The killer was standing there and brandished a sawed-off shotgun, double-barrel sawed-off shotgun. Dylan pulled out his outback bowie knife and he said, here's your first mistake. You brought a gun to a knife fight. Killer unloaded both, both barrels, caught, caught Dylan in the shoulder and in the gut. I couldn't believe it, but Dylan didn't fall down and said to the killer, you see this? And he held up his knife. And he said, I don't have to reload it. And started walking towards the killer. The killer then proceeded to pull out a mine lab metal detector, which, as anyone knows, is inferior to the Garrett AT Pro, and brandished it 
like a bow staff and started swinging away at, at Dylan. Dylan expertly dodged each thrust and swing of the staff and uh, parried with his outback bowie knife. After a while, the uh, mine lab metal detector, since it is obviously inferior, just started falling apart. Just poor craftsmanship uh, and electronics, but we won't get into that. Hmm. And pulled out a, a pick. Like a pickaxe? Exactly, like, okay. a, like a miner would use. And started swinging away. Now this was definitely a more formidable weapon. And he did catch Dylan with a few blows. Dylan, however, was not, uh, was not defenseless. And he managed to strike a few of his own. Um, needless to say, the floor was covered in blood. Uh, it was just muddy, bloody mess. Hmm. They went at this for, I would say, a good two hours before the next step. Did um, did you say anything to the killer from where your your position was in the cave? Did you yell anything? Did you say anything? I was, uh, like I said before, barely maintaining consciousness. I think I said something about spaghetti, um, but really, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was saying. In terms of uh, for our record and just helping us with the, an artist who's doing some sketches, if you could categorize this man's looks, maybe uh, a celebrity or someone to kind of compare. What it, what does the miner look like? Uh, I mentioned before he looked like Ernest from uh, the Ernest movies. Like Ernest uh, Jim goes Varney. to jail? Jim Varney, yeah. Ernest goes to jail. Ernest scared stupid. Ernest goes to camp. Ernest goes to I Africa. Mean, I loved that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, around the world in Ernest days. I don't remember all the other ones that he was in. I think actually Ernest, uh, Ernest Strikes at Rich. That was the one that Dylan and I starred in okay. uh, alongside of him. What is it? Um, what is it? What did? What did it smell like? Is there any like? Could you smell any kind of chemical? Any, any kind of smells that really, you the, keyed into? The only thing that I could describe what the cave smelled like was, bismuth. It's it's an element. On the periodic table. Yes. Very common smell. Other than the. Uh, weapons that have already been listed, uh, I noticed, you know, you, the metal detector, um, obviously, the Outback knife, mm -hmm. the sawed-off shotgun, the pickaxe, any other weapons utilized at this time, I mean, or any specific, specific fighting styles, anything that will help us even ballistically kind of see how these injuries mm -hmm. were inflicted. At one point, the killer brandished a razor-edged boomerang, and little did he know... Dylan and I were very practiced in the razor-edged boomerang, and uh, we had learned a very distinctive technique in uh, defending against it. When we were down in Australia uh, back in the 60s, we had been conscripted by an aboriginal tribe who was trying to put down a kangaroo uprising. You see, back in the 60s, when it was still legal... Hmm the Aborigines would use kangaroos basically as slaves. That's a dark, to do, dark time in our history. To do all of their hard labor. 
which included cultivating fields, um, making bricks without straw, etc. I mean, you can imagine the conditions that they faced. And we're I talking heard, about Australia. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mostly a desert. I heard stories that they would just leave their children with them. Yeah, just... yeah. A lot of the Aboriginal children um, were were left from this particular tribe. Were left with the kangaroos, basically, to be raised. yeah to be raised. Mm -hmm. And um, so, it wasn't all of the the tribes down there, but this particular one. Um, and when they conscripted us, we we had a general idea of what we were getting into, and um, well, we actually ended up turning against the tribe and siding with these kangaroos. You're kidding. No, it turns out the conditions that these kangaroos were facing were inhumane, even by kangaroo standards. And so we fought alongside these kangaroos and learned a lot of their techniques. Now, the thing about kangaroos that you have to understand is they are, without a doubt, the smartest animals on the planet. The smartest animals beyond the dolphin, or a... see some people. A lot of people will go straight to the dolphin because of its problem-solving skills. Some people go to the elephant because of its ability to display emotions. Some people go to chimps because of their ability to use tools yeah. and communicate. Um, anyone who's a fan of Jane Fossey uh, knows that uh, gorillas are are particularly adept at this skill. Some would even say the octopus, but as we all know, that's just ridiculous. It's the kangaroos. We learned fighting skills from them, uh, and Dylan, as soon as he saw that razor-edged boomerang, went straight to kangaroo style, which the kangaroos that we were with, they actually said, well, they learned it from wallabies, not exactly kangaroos, and they were very respectful in that, giving credit where credit is due. Hmm. Uh, we still call it a kangaroo style because we don't really care. Um, they are smart, but, you know, they don't really have, uh, I don't know, feelings like we do. <clears throat> Dylan immediately put his right hand behind him and lifted up both of his legs in the air and proceeded to kick with both legs at the killer who was dumbfounded and couldn't uh, couldn't react fast enough. Dylan kicked him six or seven times. At this point in time, what were you thinking? What was going through your head? I was actually pretty impressed that Dylan remembered those moves because that was back in the 60s, and so we're talking a long time ago. Like 8 or 20 years ago? Maybe 17, I don't know. Or 32. It could could be any number of years ago. I mean, who could really say? Hmm. Um, I just want to ask you uh, just a couple more qualifying <clears throat> questions here. Um, when it came to the kangaroo fighting and, and the style of it there, you did have, you know, Dylan had the opportunity at that point to catch the killer off guard. Um, was there any other point during the fighting where uh, you saw a real... Uh, you saw a real charging forward of Dylan to, to kind of lead towards an end. Like, what was the catalyst towards getting to the end of this fight? <sighs> well, at one point, the killer did mock 
our beards. See, the killer was clean shaven. And uh, as we all know, you can't trust somebody who shaves. Somebody who has a beard, clearly they can be trusted. They've got nothing to hide. It's not like they're hiding behind anything. It's all out in the open for everyone to see. And uh, I, I don't remember. Did I say that Dylan mocked the killer or the killer mocked Dylan? The, well, it seems like there it was, was... It was, it was all very unclear sides. to me yeah. at the time. I'm Ugh. sure you were just... I'm sure you were completely <clears throat> in and out of consciousness up there, suspended above the ground. Um, talk to me about the final moments and what you can remember from <sighs> where you were at. During those final moments... There was a lot of stabbing. A lot of stabbing. Dylan didn't only have his Outback Bowie knife out, but he had pulled out one of his throwing knives from his boot, and he was using that as well, and they was just plunging again and again into the killer. The killer also had a, an old screwdriver and what looked to be... I don't even know how to describe it. Uh... Is it a birdhouse? Uh, more like a diving knife, but kind of like a birdhouse. Kind of like a combination between the two. Again, plunging and plunging. Again and again. Um, I don't know how many holes. There was blood spraying everywhere. I don't know how many arteries had been severed. Um, Dylan's shirt... I mean, Dylan had already been shot in the gut and the shoulder... His shoulder looked like uh, chili cheese. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Is it like a, something you feed a whole family with, or? Yeah, like. Oh, a, ha a hamburger helper. Chili, exactly, chili, chili cheese, cheese hamburger, hamburger helper. helper. That's what his shoulder looked like, and blood was just pouring from his gut. Mm. I don't know how many gallons of blood must have poured out of his gut. Maybe ten. Dylan has oh. more blood than the average person. It's actually a genetic defect that he has, but. In this instance, it it helped him to get through those hours of fighting. What was the last straw? What ended it all? Endurance. Dylan had the endurance. I mean, when we think about Dylan and what he's done in his life, he fought a Balrog, okay? He single-handedly, without my help, uh, defeated a whole guerrilla army in Colombia. Um, he, he didn't battle the giant squid. I did that. Yeah, you drowned it in its own ink. I have that here in my file. One of them. Yeah. Um, but he has endurance, and that's really what it came down to. Dylan was able to stand up after it came out to be about three and a half hours of fighting. Before, before my team and I finally arrived on scene. The knives were gone at that point. Um, they had both dropped the knives and they would resorted to just bludgeoning each other with their fists uh, again and again and again. I saw bone for knuckles and that was it. Just bare bone knuckles. Finally, Dylan raised his arm with the killer's shirt in his hand, shirt collar, 
raised his fist high above the killer's head and brought his fist down, and I swear the walls shook when he hit his face. The killer spat out what was left of his teeth, blood dripping from the corners of his mouth. Dylan reaches down, picks up his bowie knife, and says to the killer, Your son, after 16 or 17 times being stabbed in the throat, lived. With you, it's just going to take me once. And he, he cut his head off. He cut off the head of the miner? Slowly. Well, what happened next? Did he say anything to you, Dylan? He said, Dutch, you were right. Tell your sister you were right. Isn't that, um, isn't that Darth, Darth Vader? Dylan was a big fan. Uh, okay, did he say anything after that? He did. He said, Valar Margulis. That's, a uh, that's High Valyrian for All Men Must Die, correct? Yeah. What did you say to him? I told him the same thing that we always tell death. What's that? Not today. I'm getting a phone call. Hang on. It's it's Scarlet. It's Dylan's wife. Hello, Scarlet. It's Dutch. <sighs> okay. Did did Dylan make it? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared By the flash of a neon light It split the night And touched the sound And in the naked light I saw Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without listening People writing songs That voices never share No one dare the sound of silence. 
will say I've been not known. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echo. Kruger. Let's just say I work for our government. Hope you're doing well. Your doctors almost won't let me in to see you, so I'll be brief. You and Dutch have recently come under our radar. I work alongside not only our government, but a group of sovereign nations throughout the world, who, when in a tight situation, are forced to contract work out to private contractors. Both yourself and Dutch seem to fit within multiple skill set parameters, and we're hoping to get your help on a variety of sensitive issues that can't really be traced back to any one of our partners, if you will. We understand that you work with another gentleman who goes by the pseudonym Daryl. In order for us to work together, we would, however, need you to tell him the truth. The truth about what? Don't play stupid with me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's my card. Call me when you want to discuss the Triple D Mining Initiative. Hey, thanks for coming in. Yeah, no problem, Dylan. How's the recovery going? It's going okay. Uh, I put my I put myself in, into a self-induced coma for a few weeks to better heal myself. Um, but after that, I, I think I'm on the road to recovery. Yeah, still man. still touch and go. You're you're looking good. You're looking good. Thank you very much, Daryl. Listen, the reason I brought you in here is I wanted to tell you something face-to-face. Uh, -face. Yeah, anything. What is it? The serial killer that perished at my hands last week, he called himself the Miner. Yeah. He was your father. And who are you, the proud Lord said? That I must bow so low Only a cat of a different coat That's all the truth I know And a coat of gold or a coat of red A lion still has claws And mine are long and sharp, my lord as long and sharp as yours 
And so we spoke, and so we spoke That load of Castamere But now the rains we bore is hard With no one there to hear Yes, now the rains we bore is hard And not a soul to hear Oh, to hear. 